Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Jeffrey Kiplinger is the co-founder and partner at Selling Science, a consulting firm that helps life science, contract research, and tools companies grow the revenue by building and optimizing their scientific sales teams. He's also the author of the book, Expert Entrepreneur. Jeffrey, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Well, thank you, Chris. So just to get us started for context, give us a little background on your own expert to entrepreneur journey. Sure, sure. Well, I got a PhD in organic chemistry uh, back in the late 80s. I my first corporate job was with Pfizer, and a uh, good place to learn the ropes, but um, Pfizer became a pretty top-heavy organization by the late 90s when they started to acquire other companies, and I got a little bit frustrated with um, being siloed as a mass spectrometrist and a chromatographer supporting uh, you know, new, new chemistry that they were doing. And, uh, and I always wanted to see if I could take it on the road and, and do something myself, and it wasn't easy. I, I made a number of false starts. Uh, you know, I was pretty frustrated with myself for a number of years. Uh, had a couple of businesses that sort of started, sputtered, and uh, and failed. And then finally, I started a contract research firm in the Boston area in 2008. And we actually uh, had a pretty good run, including, you know, every year during the recession was an up year. Uh, it was a struggle. No, no, uh, no lying there, but <laughs> but uh, we managed to have an up year every year, and then we sold uh, in 2016. I stayed for another couple of years and and uh, and left to see what was next. Nice. So I will say I didn't read your whole book, but I, you know, I read significant chunks of it, which I appreciated. And I, you know, just as someone who coming from science who's still trying to learn about sales, I definitely recommend it. But there was a statement in there that summed it up for me, which was, you know, delivering for customers is easy, which I would absolutely say, like doing the work is totally the easy part. <laughs> Finding those customers and most important is the hardest part. So, yeah, I, uh, I think that was really the, the genesis of the book. Um, when when COVID hit, you know, and I was trying to kind of, I had been spending uh, 2019 before COVID looking around to see what uh, business I was going to found next, uh, what I wanted to do with myself next. And when COVID hit and some of those opportunities went away, at least for, for the time being, I thought, well, you know, I want to write some of this stuff down. And uh, I had been doing a little bit of consulting uh, with young companies. And one of the statements that I kept hearing from the founders is, listen, our business is absolutely great. We just need sales. And, the, you know, the the kind of conundrum there or the, or the disconnect there is that you build the business around the science that you do in order to bring you to customers. And I think that this disconnect exists with many, many different scientists that, that found businesses. We think that what we're doing is we're, we're scaling up the expertise that we're offering. We're scaling up the products that we can uh, deliver or the services that we can deliver. And that's the business. Well, it's not. The business is built around that. And the, the book, I think, is, is designed to give people an idea that you can build this shell around the scientific expertise that you have. 
And when you build that shell and you look at it as something that's an entity in and of itself and, and focus on growing the business part of it, that's when things really, really take off. And ultimately, the business develops value in and of itself by being something that's capable of bringing on new customers and keeping those customers. So talk a little bit more about that. I mean, it sounds like you're separating, like, we have this expertise that we would deliver to customers, but how do you go about, aside from going out and grabbing them by the collar and saying, hey, <laughs> do you want my stuff? Like, when you talk about building the business, what does that look like? Well, you know, there are steps to it, obviously, right? And you'll get a lot of this if you talk to people who are talking about, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and business plans. And, you know, there are there are advisory groups of uh, retired executives that you can access. And all of these advisors will start with what's the structure of the company? You know, what are your plans? What's your market? What does your pricing look like? How are you going to uh, communicate with that market? All of that kind of stuff is, seems very structural, I think, to a lot of scientists, and it seems very formulaic. But the real art of this is in how you grow, because you're going to find a few customers right at the beginning. If, you, if you've got a decent network as a scientist and you've got some expertise and people know that you're good at what you do, right? you can bring it to a few people. But once you run past your network, what do you, what do, you do next? How do you find new network? How do you find people that are um, willing to buy from you and buy from you again that you don't know? So, so that's really the art of it. I would say about a third of the book, uh, the, primarily the section in the, in the middle part of the book that's on growth, really focuses on sales and marketing almost exclusively. Uh, and that's the, uh, that's the meat of it, right? The structural part, like I say, could be somewhat formulaic, um, frankly, a little bit boring to a lot of scientists. Uh, we want to do what we do well. But, um, but uh, the, the thing that I think we're most afraid of is, is going out and talking to new people and, and figuring out how to bring them on as customers. Yeah, so I'm going to ask, you know, for my own benefit as much as the audience. So um, I find marketing pretty easy because that's what I do. I find the transition from marketing to selling hard, like when to say, Hey, I guess, you know, it comes down to asking them, what are your problems? By the way, did you know I have a solution to that problem? But for me, that's the hard leap. And I think for many scientists, um, and then just, I'm going to back up just because it's in my head, the whole business plan thing, like when you're a scientist starting a business and you look at that, you go, how would I know, like, some of the answers to those questions and would I like look at this thing every day and figure out what I should be doing in retrospect for me I should be talking to people who might need what I have yeah you've really got two great questions in there because I agree with you on the business planning thing it's a you know um, a lot of people feel like their their business plan is about financial projections and we're scientists we deal with reality we try not to deal with fantasy in the future. Uh, so, you know, saying I'm going to make $100,000 this year and $500,000 next year and a million dollars the year after that, really, we don't know whether that's going to happen or not. And and it becomes, uh, you know, kind of um, 
a question that we don't want to know the answer to, a question that we don't want to we don't want to stick a, a pin in and say I'm going to achieve this because we don't really know. So yes, there is a problem with that whole business planning thing when looked at from that standpoint. But we can come to back to that. Let me let me try and talk about that transition from marketing to sales because you're right, that is difficult and it's particularly difficult for scientists. Right? We're we're super objective. We want to put it out there that hey, I have this many, I don't know, this many um, mass spectrometers, or this many um, uh, NMR spectrometers. I have this many PhDs in my lab. Uh, we've been around since 1984. Uh, you know, we want to put facts out there that nobody can dispute, and let people reach their own conclusions from those facts. And that is problematic right because we don't know who our ideal customer is the one that really has a problem that those capabilities aren't exact fit for so marketing isn't just putting out what you do and i know i'm preaching to the choir here i know you know this but it's not just putting out what you have and what you do and hoping somebody will find you because of that i mean the the the, the magic of google only goes so far right <laughs> yes so, so, you know, you still have to make a connection with the person that might buy from you. And so marketing done well involves defining who that person is, who is that ideal customer, and targeting what you say at the problems that are frequently experienced by those type of people. And that discussion of problems makes what you do personal for them. They sort of file you away and think, yeah, maybe I could, maybe I could work with those guys. Maybe they'd be useful to me. And and if you stay in front of them long enough in various ways, you know, social media, advertising, speaking at uh, conferences, whatever it is that you do, to stay in front of them, um, and they have that problem that you can solve, eventually they'll make that connection and and reach out. And that's when a sales conversation starts. So marketing can be, for scientific companies, somewhat passive, right? You can put it out there and wait. But if you put it out there too broadly, if it's just a shotgun approach, we have a lot of mass spectrometers, you're not going to be very effective at it. Right. Yeah, for that, I mean, uh, you got to talk about the problems people have for which a mass spectrometer is a solution, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, and exactly. you know, what, what they're not finding. And, and why you are good at solving those particular problems, because there's lots of things mass spectrometers can do. The question is, what is your expertise? What, is, what do you do that's provided real value for your customers in the past? And the easiest way to find that out is to ask them, and that's also something that we're terrified of doing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say that is that can be the most helpful thing is to ask people, you know, what you're good at. Um, yeah, it's so, a deeper conversation that I think scientists are afraid of. We're very comfortable presenting from the podium. We're not very comfortable talking to people when we don't know what's going to come out of their mouths. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go down that road for a second. This is sort of on the opposite side of that, but you mentioned that um, this came from Brian Tracy, but you mentioned in your book that selling is a transfer of enthusiasm. So how how do you suggest that scientists or anybody starting a business transfer that enthusiasm without coming across as salesy or just realizing that it, it isn't necessarily coming across as salesy, even though it might feel that way to you? 
Yeah, I think that's that's a great um, observation. You know, the, for me, that transfer of enthusiasm quote was an eye opener. When I was trying to sell the services that we were providing out of my shop in Boston, um, I felt like I was I was uncomfortable in those sales conversations. I felt uh, like I was trying to push something at somebody. I felt like I was um, sounding uh, manipulative or sounding like I was trying to represent something that wasn't there. And it was only when I realized that I really believed in what the guys in the lab, uh, the guys and the women in the laboratory could do, um, that, that I, I realized that I could take that enthusiasm for what we could do and talk about, talk in those terms. Talk about that, yeah. uh, you know, talk about the lab in such a way that, that I believed what was coming out of my mouth. And as long as I believed it, you know, I'm, and I wasn't feeling like I was manipulative or, or um, shady in the way that I was representing what we could do, um, I was on solid ground. Now, you know, part of that was realizing that I didn't want to represent us as doing something that we couldn't do. So I learned really quickly to refer people to other providers that were better solutions for them. And that pay pays off benefits, too. I mean, sometimes they would come back to us uh, knowing it gave me an opportunity to explain exactly where we were positioned. And then they'd come back to us when they had a problem that needed our solution. Yeah, taking on the wrong customer is w worse than taking on no customer. Yeah, and I see that a lot. I mean, I think that that um, when companies become, uh, you know, I don't know, desperate for sales isn't the right word, but when companies become very hungry for sales, uh, or when a sales rep becomes very hungry to make a quota, for example, uh, you know, you can get into a situation where you sort of take all comers. You try to try to fit what you do into what they need in a way that isn't ideal. And not only do you not get repeat business but you generally spend a lot more time trying to serve that customer than than uh, is efficient and that's a money losing proposition for any business right it gets in the way of you serving the customers you should be getting right yeah I mean, yeah uh, i find personally that sales gets easier with a bit of success you've, i'm sure you've seen this like it, one it builds confidence right you get more comfortable with your pricing and then when you feel like you've got some rolling in, there's less pressure to get the next one and you feel more comfortable about talking about what you do. That's definitely helpful. Yeah, there's a, a phrase that I learned when, and, and I took a sales training course when I realized I had to get good at this. I, I spent two years in sales training with a, with a, a company that um, was related to the Sandler training method. So very tactical, not, not a kind of a, you know, a, a big strategy type of picture uh, in sales, but how do you talk about what you do? That was what I needed. And, and one of the phrases that I learned was full funnel freedom. As soon as you have a full funnel, you can turn people away with comfort. You can, you can only pick and you can pick and choose among the available customers and pick only the best ones. That's, that's the freedom that that delivers to you. So, you know, when you get to the point where you're successful enough to do that, where you, where you can turn people away or refer them to a better source, um, that's truly liberating. Yeah. that Can't imagine. All right. Um, describe some of the challenges that clients bring to you. So you're helping people 
sort of develop their sales now for these scientific companies? What does it look like when they show up? What it, what do they bring to you? You know, one of the most frequent things that we see is that, um, uh, you know, the sales reps are taking all comers. Now, a lot of times that the, this happens because uh, the, the sales leadership is driving everybody with quotas. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you're when you're only focused on quarterly revenue targets, then, you know, at the end of the quarter, uh, one of two things is going to happen, right? The last four weeks of the quarter, either the, the sales rep has made their target and so they coast or <laughs> the sales rep is not making their target and so they get desperate. And this creates a disconnect and a tension between the delivery of the product or service, the laboratory, say, um, and the sales function. And that breaks down the whole organization, right? Back to the beginning, right? The business is working great, but we just need sales, right? That's That tension between the sales function and the delivery function, um, if it results in a breakdown of, of the whole process of the company, it's, it's difficult for the owner to get control over the company again. Interesting. So talk about building and training a sales organization. So what, I mean, I, I think what I'm asking here is how do you figure out who you want to bring on to your team? Well, we're, we're still um, Sandler acolytes, right? So a lot of the training that we do, like I say, is tactical. Uh, you know, a good example of that is the, the, um, the trade shows that everybody has to go to. Right. So trade shows are a great opportunity to market, to expose your brand to the customers, but they're an expensive way of exposing your brand. So you'd really like to get some return out of them. And, uh, and, and you know, we hear a lot of people say, hey, our, you know, we're, we're taking our best technical people to the trade shows, the best meaning that not only are they good technically, but they're able to, to communicate well with people. And so we're taking our best technical staff to the trade shows, and all they're doing is talking about what they do, what we do, and they're not bringing us new customers. We're getting a lot of badge scans, but we're not getting a lot of you know, leads that we can actually pursue. So we do some training with whole sales teams on how to get better return on your trade show investment. It's a very simple process of pre-qualifying really quickly and scientists are not used to doing that because it involves asking questions where the person might say no <laughs> <laughs> that rejection is hard for everyone isn't it um and uh you know pre-qualifying and then closing only to the next step right setting a meeting uh for next week after we're all back home yeah so, that makes I sense the trade show thing is <laughs> yes, expensive. Right? It I is. Mean, it's getting more and more expensive. And, and and one of the things that's happened is that some of these big trade shows that used to be the target for the whole year um, have now fragmented into multiple trade shows. And you have to cover more bases in order to, um, to uh, you know, expose your brand to the same number of people. And if your sales reps are not bringing in... Um, Leads that you can actually prosecute, uh, prospects that you can that you can get into a sales conversation. To me, it's a waste of their time and it's a waste of your money. The company's right. money. 
Yeah. So I'm a little familiar. I mean, I've done some Sandler training. I had a friend who was a Sandler training trainer mm-hmm. and uh, gave me some advice a long while back. Um, and I really like that that approach, which would be shocking to most people, I think, if they mm-hmm. if they dug into it a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't think it's tricky or anything like that, but it does refocus people on, and we're not Sandler trainers. I don't want to misrepresent, you know, right, we're, right. we're just, we've both done Sandler training and we like it. And we do refer to other Sandler trainers when somebody wants to bring on a, um, you know, a, a, a long-term enhancement to their, to their sales team. But, you know, this is the, the, the lack of a tactic to us is is what we see i think most often when we when we talk to um sales leaders yeah and uh, yeah i didn't even mean to imply that it's tricky it's just different than what you might expect about how you have those conversations mm-hmm. and you know having a goal at every step like how do we move these people on and um it's actually sort of unpushy in a way yeah, we do a lot of, you know, in working with the, the whole team, we do a lot of role playing just like Sandler does, but it's all in the context of these scientific conversations. So how do you, how do you implement, uh, you know, how do you break the pattern that everybody has? You know, you walk by a booth at a trade show and somebody says, how are you today? <laughs> fine. And they walk on. <laughs> so how do you break that pattern? You know, there are, uh, there are fun things that, that I think we do in these kind of, um, sessions with whole teams. Yeah. I'm going to a trade show. I'm going to the neuroscience meeting in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. which I think this episode will have, it will have happened before this episode comes out. One of the things I find challenging about trade shows is, walking around and people don't look you in the eye. They look at your badge to see if you are <laughs> worth talking to is the feeling I get. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but you know, I, I go, I do want to talk to people. I have a little bit different agenda because I'm trying to meet people in the booths and hopefully, you know, find out what they, you know, what's missing in their world. But, uh, yeah. You know, you want to have, um, you know, short conversations and that are productive, right? That's, I find trade shows really energizing and I like to watch the way that other people do them too. I was at AAPS, uh, in Florida last week and I walked by somebody's booth that I would normally pay no attention to. And, uh, and I was looking in the other direction and uh, a woman in the booth basically yelled at me and said, Hey, <laughs> And I said, is it your job to startle people, you know, that, that walk by your booth? And she said, she said, absolutely. That's what we really enjoy doing. And that started a conversation. That's a, that's a great pattern interrupt. <laughs> yeah, that's a good lesson right there. It's just, yeah, she got you to stop and you had a conversation. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on hiring experienced salespeople from outside of science? I'm always interested in people's perspective on whether scientific background is important for certain jobs uh, well it depends very much on what you do i mean i've i've um, worked with people who uh, you know have basically mostly a catalog business now the depth of scientific expertise is not uh, doesn't have to be too great in order to sell from a catalog you need to know the product attributes and that's about it but the catalog is there for your customer to make choices from and to understand you better um 
then again, I talked to a company last week who is who I would have identified as a catalog sales company, but they want to move towards being a solution seller. So in other words, their products can be configured in a variety of different ways by their experts inside the company, and that can provide a whole solution to people. That's something that a catalog salesperson, a person used to selling out of a catalog, has to shift their method of operating quite a bit. And in order to understand whether you can configure a solution for somebody, you need to understand their problems and their tech. So, yes, right. then you get to where scientific expertise is required. Now, there's a lot of really good sales reps uh, in the scientific services and product world. But, you know, uh, they're, they're expensive if they perform, and rightly so. I mean, I've... Uh, I've heard quotes that base salaries for um, scientific services companies for their sales reps now are between two hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's base salary without without incentive. So wow. that's a lot of money. And if you're if you're buying somebody, if you're buying somebody's expertise um, in your science and they can't sell, that's a wasted investment. If you're buying right. somebody's network and their network isn't your ideal customer base, that's a waste. So, you know, I guess what I see is when people hire um, experienced sales reps or senior people from who've already got field experience, very frequently they're not looking at whether that person is a match for what you're trying to achieve. They might be a match for your company, they might be a match in terms of the revenue they've produced in the past, but are you really checking them against what the company is trying to, to do? Uh, that's a good point. All right. I think this will be the last question. So I found this very interesting and relevant. Talk about the importance of finding the perfect customer. You mentioned this early on, the one that comes back again and again. So one, I think we've made clear sort of why it's important, but how do you define and find those? Well, you define them uh, pretty simply. The perfect customer is the one that derives the greatest value from working with you. But if you're not probing value, you're not asking the right questions. So, you know, you do need to understand how your work has an impact on theirs. That's really the most important thing. And once you once you can find that, that can guide the questions you can ask other people to qualify them against that call it ideal customer profile, right? And then this becomes in turn important for your marketing because your marketing is designed to make your company visible and what you do visible and your expertise visible, not to everyone, but to your ideal customers. Right. And it becomes it becomes an easier job for marketing to do, I think. You you tell me. It becomes an easier job for marketing to do if that ideal customer profile is defined tightly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you and I think the fear for many people is, you know, we want to market to everybody, we want everybody to like us, be our customers and so on. But I think I'm a strong believer if you do a really good job of marketing to that ideal thing, that means you're telling a story that would be interesting to anybody even on the next ring out of potential mm -hmm. customers and go, oh, I should find out more about that. And if, you know, they fit, they fit. And if they don't, you didn't want them, right? So yeah. I met but, a guy in, in uh, Houston several years ago who had a great business um, idea to advise 
um, uh, companies on how to structure their um, finances to make their companies uh, stronger in uh, in getting lending, right? So you know, improve your financial strength. You're you're going to improve your ability to find investors or or lenders, right? So you know, he had a lot of expertise in this area, but he didn't get any business at all until he decided to focus exclusively on law firms. And once he focused on law firms and he was marketing only within that sphere, everything worked out great for him. He had more business that he could handle. And suddenly he started getting calls from things like accounting firms who said, hey, listen, I know you don't do accounting firms, but we're really similar to a law firm. Would you work with us? So <laughs> Perfect example. Yes. Yeah. I think that's it. You just make a stronger story and people they figure out how they fit into your story. Whereas if you go generic, no one really fits or they don't see you as being special enough for them. Right. I have a good friend uh, up here in upstate New York who has a bike, a bike shop, um, you know, bicycles. And he has two ideal customer profiles. One is people from New York City who want to come up and have a weekend house up in this part of upstate. And, and they want to enjoy the beautiful roads and the rail trails and stuff like that. So he sells bikes to families that are not bad bikes, but, you know, kind of lower end. And then his other ideal customer are local people that race bicycles, whether it's mountain bikes or road bikes. Those are very, very high end. and They cost a lot of money. But those are two completely different customers, and he talks to them differently, he advertises to them differently, he has completely different approaches. Yeah, makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Kiplinger, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really enlightening. I know people are going to get a lot out of this one. Well, I hope so. And it was great talking to you, Chris, and I uh, hope we get a chance to meet up in person sometime. That would be great. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Hey, if you're still listening, that tells me you enjoyed the podcast. But don't tell me. Tell your friends. And I'll be back soon with another episode. Okay, you can tell me too. Send an email. Chris at LifeScienceMarketingRadio.com Bye-bye. <laughs>